The first reading is from Psalm 27. You can find it in page 557 in the Church Bibles. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face away from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of John, uh, which can be found on page 1082, chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. So as we come now to God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that your written word of scripture may now and always be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
few years ago, we went to see a play in the West End. Some of you may have seen it. It's Absurd Person Singular by Alan Akebourne. And at one point in the play, the main characters are gathered together around a dining table for a very nice sort of posh dinner party. But unfortunately, there comes a point when there's a malfunction in the lighting above the dining table. And in order to put it right, one of the characters, who just happened to be played by Paul Eddington, you know, Jim Hacker of Yes Minister, he stood up on the table to fix it. And in attempting to do that, there was the most massive electric shock. And he went totally rigid, and in that position, fell backwards. And was then caught by the two people sitting along, where they would have been, alongside of him. And of course, in order to do this, he had to have absolute trust that not only would they be in the right place, but that they would catch him. And I found when I was preparing for this morning, that to be a very helpful picture of what we're thinking about as we continue our series on prayer. Because this morning, we're coming to think about trusting prayer, and especially when things are hard. And to enable us to do this, we're going to focus on Psalm 27, which we've just read together, and which was written by King David, either when he was being pursued by Saul, or when in flight from Absalom. It's not clear which, but whichever one it was, David is in a desperate situation. He's in fear for his life, he's on the run, and he's really up against it. His enemies are evil people who are intent on persecuting him by physical violence and slandering his reputation. In fact, it was a pretty uncomfortable place to be. And yet, in spite of all of that, they inspire in David one of the most sublime Old Testament affirmations of the security of God's people. As we've just read together, the Lord is my light to guide me. My salvation to deliver me. And the stronghold of my life in whom I take refuge. Given all of that, of whom then Shall I be afraid, asked David. And it is a defiant, unanswerable question, like those at the end of Romans 8, where Paul begins by asking, if God is for us, who can be against us? Let David's enemies attack him, yet they will stumble and fall. 
Indeed, he says, if a whole army should make war against him, even then will he be confident. And many Christians down the years, in similar circumstances, have drawn strength from these words. And one such was Bishop James Hannington, the first bishop of equatorial Africa. In October 1885, on reaching Lake Victoria, he was seized and imprisoned, consumed with fever, and at times delirious with pain, devoured by vermin, menaced every moment by the prospect of death, he still found strength in the Psalms. On October the 28th, the day before he died a martyr's death, he wrote in his journal, I am quite broken down and brought low. Comforted by Psalm 27. As with David, this confidence lies in the presence and protection of God. It was through a life abiding in God that David knew that he would be delivered. In the day of trouble when it came, God would protect him. And then, as we know when we read it through carefully, the mood of the psalm changes because confident affirmation gives way to an anxious crying out to God. And in fact, so abrupt and complete is the change that some commentators have ascribed the two halves of the Psalms to different authors. Or if to the same author, then to completely different occasions and circumstances. Yet really, there's no need for that. For David, like us, knew enormous mood shifts as his faith ebbed and flowed from wonderful confidence to a heartfelt desire that God will not reject or forsake him. And the psalm then ends as it began with an expression of serene confidence. David has come through his tunnel of darkness. His Faith has been tested to the absolute limit, but now it triumphs. He says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He who ardently desired to see with the eye of faith the beauty of the Lord is sure that before he dies, he will see the same Lord's goodness displayed in his own circumstances. So certain is he of this that he wants others to have the same experience. And for this to happen, what do we have to do? Put simply, to wait and to trust believing that God is with us in all circumstances. It has been said that second only to suffering 
Waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. I'm pretty sure we'll all know this. Waiting is hard. It's something we don't want to do, and most of us aren't very good at it. It used to be said that what defined the middle classes was delayed satisfaction. I wonder if that's still the case. Probably far more likely is now to be instant gratification. We're under huge pressure to use the plastic or whatever else we use. Whatever we want, we want it now. And Rowan Williams addressed this issue recently by referring to Britain's portfolio culture of short-term goals in every area of life. Short-term jobs, short-term relationships, and fashions in everything from clothes to lifestyle and even religious belief. In so many areas of life, we find waiting difficult. Waiting for the bus that never seems to come. Stuck in traffic, especially in Bath at the moment. Waiting in supermarket queues. We can all add our own list. But set along these side these daily, pretty trivial events really, there is another more acute form of waiting the waiting of a childless couple for a child, the waiting of a single person for marriage or whatever is next, the waiting of the chronically ill for health or death, the waiting of the emotionally scarred for peace, the waiting of men and women in dead-end careers for a breakthrough, the waiting of the lonely to belong. Whatever the situation we find ourselves in, the basic question for all of us is, as it was all those years ago for David, can I trust God? Can I know the confidence and security he speaks of in Psalm 27? For when things in life are difficult, we will want to change the circumstances. But God wants to change us through the circumstances. How often when people have been through a difficult time and come out the other side do they say, now I can get on with my life. As if life has stood still and stagnated and they haven't been changed by the experience. Which brings me to the focal point of what I'm trying to say this morning. That at least as important as the things we wait for is the work God wants to do in us as we wait. That at least as important as the things we wait for is the work that God wants to do in us as we wait. There was a time when people wore badges saying, Please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. 
And God asked the same of us. To be patient with him until he finishes with us. For his perspective is eternal. And we're so often rooted in the here and now. For waiting is not just a thing we have to do and care we get what we hope for. Waiting is an important part of the process of becoming what we hope for. And that waiting requires an attitude of humility and hope that few of us come by naturally and is forged in the cauldron of experience. And to see how this works out in practice, I'd like us to look at one of the great stories of waiting in the Bible and seek to apply it to our situation now. And the story I have in mind is that of Abraham and Sarah, which can be found in Genesis 12 onwards. So we're going back a bit, but it's helpful to see that waiting isn't just a modern phenomenon. And when we first meet them, they are waiting. After all, it seems to have been so long. He's 75, she's not much younger, and still they are childless. And this barrenness was a great stigma in their culture and spoke of emptiness, of shame, of failure to realize one's destiny. Sarah was believed to have failed to do what she was created to do as a woman. Yet God has a special plan for them. They will, in his time, have a child to complete their family. But a child who will also begin God's plan for the redemption of the world following the fall. For God's plan is to make a great nation of Abraham. And for that, they need descendants and lots of them. To have lots of descendants, Sarah needs to become pregnant in her old age. In time, they would receive from God far more than they ever wanted or dreamed of. They would have settled for a baby. What they got was a baby through whom God would bless the whole world. And like Abraham and Sarah, we need to learn to place all our little waitings within the context of a larger waiting. The waiting for God's redemption of his fallen creation. For the things we wait for, a job, a child, health, happiness, fulfillment, these are mere signs and shadows of the redemption that is to come whether God grants us our dreams or denies them, he does so as part of his larger plan to save us for eternity. So far, we've been thinking about the experiences of Abraham and Sarah from over 4,000 years ago and David from around 3,000 years ago. And you might be feeling that that's fairly interesting ancient history. But what's it got to do with us, with our lives, here, today, now? The key is to be found in that both Abraham and David 
in spite of the seemingly hopeless situations they found themselves to be in, chose to trust God. It was a conscious, deliberate act based on their knowledge and experience of God in their lives and their close communion with him in prayer. And although obviously the circumstances will be very different, the basic situation is the same for us. For the God we worship here today is the God of Abraham and the God of David. The everlasting and eternal God, the creator and sustainer, who is sovereign over all. But let's be honest, it's easy to trust, to give thanks, to praise, when things are going well. But what about when the storms come? As Jesus said they most certainly would when he told the story of the wise and the foolish builders. Can we then continue to trust when all seems bleak and hopeless, with no obvious end in sight. This is something that Ruth, my wife, and I have had to face over the last year or so, as she struggled with a debilitating illness, which we now know as chronic fatigue syndrome. And through this period, there have been many dark times, when everything has seemed bleak and hopeless, with no obvious end in sight, and has really challenged us in our faith. It's easy to trust God and be thankful when the sun is shining, but not so easy when the sky darkens and the sun seems permanently hidden. Yet we know that the sun is there, even when we can't see it. And we believe that God is there, even when we cannot sense his presence. For in that situation, it involves a conscious decision to trust him, based on past experience, and of the nature of who God is. And through this absence, God is teaching us to trust him more deeply as he works out his purpose for our lives. For what we are learning is that this trust is assurance in the highest sense. It reaches out in the darkness and it holds on to God even when it cannot see. And we choose to defy the darkness, even though we sometimes feel it overwhelms us. And through the darkness, God has been teaching us many things. To stop rushing about, and to be aware of the moment. To be grateful for what we can do, but to be still honest about our feelings 
as David most certainly is in this psalm. The psychologist Brenny Brown wrote something which we have found very helpful. She said, if the river is muddy, say it's muddy, but don't try and pretend otherwise. But equally, don't let it stop you seeing the gold nuggets that lie within. Through what we might call the cauldron of their experience, Abraham and David learnt to trust God as they waited for him to fulfil his purposes in their lives. And what we become as we wait is at least as important as the thing we wait for. As we learn to trust through the time spent in his presence, it will become part of the process God is using to make us into the people he created us to be. And that hope, that trust, invites us to look at our waitings from the grand perspective of God's eternal purposes. In fact, to be a believer is, by definition, to be one who waits as we live in anticipation of Jesus' return and wait for the consummation of his glorious kingdom. As we come to a finish, I'd like to read you these words written by a young soldier who received massive and permanently debilitating injuries in the American Civil War. He lived with profound disabilities for the rest of his life, wrestling and waiting for God to show his face, his purpose in it all. And at the end of his struggles, he wrote this, which it may be that you'll find helpful as we respond to what God is saying to each one of us this morning. This is what he said. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I have received nothing I asked for, all that I hoped for. My prayer is answered. And this young man and Bishop Hannington learned the truth through their experience of these lovely words. You are working in our waiting, sanctifying us when beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust. It's those words which in a moment we're going to be singing together.
So let us pause before we do so to reflect on whether that is our experience. Do we believe that God is working in our waiting? And is he teaching us to trust him in all circumstances, however tough that may be?